So if, uh, if you didn't know this about me, I'm going to just confess to you, I'm a big Marvel Universe fan. I love the Marvel Universe movies. Uh, I, I read the comics growing up. I love that they're action movies now. And I, like many people here, I watched the WandaVision series that was recently, that recently just concluded. Anybody else watch that? A few of you? Okay, a few of you. So for those of you who don't know, uh, let me clarify what WandaVision is. So WandaVision is a story about Wanda and Vision. Wanda, you know, after I explained this in the first service, I realized how weird it sounds, but (laughs) Wanda is a witch who is in love with Vision, who is is a uh, synthesoid, which is basically a robot. And so Wanda wants to be married to Vision and have a happy little life together, but she knows the world would not allow that. So what she does is because she's a witch, she puts a spell over this little suburban town and and bewitches them to all be pawns in her little world where she gets to live out her fantasy of living a simple suburban American life, being married to Vision. Now, the great tension of this whole series is that the outside world, the FBI and the government, they're trying to break in to this bewitched little town, of course, to save everybody who are all being controlled by Wanda so she can live out her, her little American dream. Now, I was reading, like, like, I love, I love uh, these stories, and I saw there's an article about this in the New Yorker magazine. Uh, Here's a, a clip from it. And it's, it says this. It says, we live in the world of WandaVision. I thought, that sounds fascinating. So I read this article. And the writer of this, this article made a fascinating point. Uh, she basically said that WandaVision is an extremely relatable and relevant story. A story about a witch Bewitching a small town so she can live out her fantasy of a quiet American dream life married to a robot is somehow a very relevant and relatable story. And actually the point, the point she's making is phenomenal. So Wanda does what we all do. In our minds, we try to create this perfect little world And we try to protect ourselves from the outside world. We want to create this little world and insulate ourselves in this little world. But the outside world keeps trying to break in with its brokenness and disrupt things. I'm going to tell you right now, I I know Christians who are trying to do that very thing. And I'm going to submit to you that is the antithesis of what Jesus calls us to do. He said, the very last thing he said to us was, go into the world. Go into all of the world, actually, and make disciples of all nations. You are going to be a light in the world. You don't try to stay hidden and put, your, put a bowl over you to, to protect your little world. You're meant to throw that bowl off and shine the light everywhere you go as you go into the world. Christians, if all we're trying to do is create a little world and insulate ourselves in this little world and protect ourselves from the the big, bad outside world, then we're just a witch trying to be married to a robot. 
and we're not doing what Christ has called us to do. We need to live in the real world. We need to understand the real world. But we need to live in the real, in the real world. Not living out our fantasy in a bubble, but living out our faithfulness in a boldness. The way that the world is going, having a guard around our perfect little Christian lives will not be enough. We need more than a guard. We need to develop a dirt road level grit if we're going to be who God's called us to be in this world. So for the next few weeks, we're going to walk down a dirt road together called the Emmaus Road in Scripture. I encourage you in your Bibles, go ahead and turn there now to Luke chapter 24. I'm just going to warn you, this, this is where we are going to be for the next four weeks. So go ahead and just put a bookmark in your Bible in Luke chapter 24. But as you're turning there, let me give you some context. This story that we're going to read, this happened on the day of the resurrection, the story that we are going to read, this happened on the very first Easter Sunday. And the Jesus that we're going to read here this, this morning, this is the risen Jesus. This happens during the 40 days between his resurrection and his return to heaven. A time where he spent time with his disciples preparing them for life after he had gone back to heaven. And at one point, he walks a road with two of his disciples down a dirt road. So jump down to verse 13, Luke chapter 24. Hear the word of the Lord. It will be on the screen if you want to follow along. Otherwise, I encourage you to follow along in your Bibles. So here we go. Luke chapter 24, verse 13 on down. Hear the word of the Lord. Now that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking... And discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what's this conversation that you're holding as you, uh, with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered, are you the only visitor in, to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he would be the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some of our women, uh, moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back say, saying that they'd even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. And he, Jesus, said to them, O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. This is God's word, everyone. Let's pray, and then we'll get started. Let's pray. Lord God in heaven, 
We pray as you walk with us that through the scriptures and through the power of the Spirit, you would reveal your love and truth to us. As we walk with the risen Jesus, I pray that our hearts would burn for the truth of your word, that through the Spirit, we may be, we may be more sanctified more and more every day into the image of Christ our Savior, in whose name we pray these things. And everyone said, amen, amen, amen. So uh, with this sermon series, we're going to break down every sermon into two basic parts. For every message in the series, if you're a note taker, here's how we're going to kind of do this. We're going to talk about grounded truth as we just ground ourselves in the truth of God's word. And then we're going to talk about a gritty faith. How does this story help us to develop a gritty faith that will make us more effective for the calling God has in our lives. So, you guys ready to get into your Bible today? Yeah. Let's do it then. First thing, grounded truth. Let's go back to our very first verse. That very day, that very day of the resurrection, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus about seven miles from Jerusalem. Now, historically speaking, we don't actually know where Emmaus was, just that it was seven miles from Jerusalem. It was probably an hour and a half walk. Now, the Gospel of Mark references very, very briefly this same story, but all Mark says is that two of them were, quote, walking out into the country. Because sometimes being a Christian feels like walking out in the country on a dirt road. Or at least sometimes it should. Just as that dirt road feels, we feel that grit underneath our feet, that's what we need to feel in our faith, that level of realness. Our faith needs to feel as gritty as a dirt road under our, fa- under our feet. They were walking uh, from Jerusalem. It says, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near. Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. At times we'll see the Lord work in this mysterious way that he will cover a person's eyes from seeing the fullness of the situation that we are in. But this should remind us that even if we can't see it, God is still there. Even when it doesn't feel like it, Jesus is walking with us. Jesus himself drew near, but they didn't recognize it. Let's continue on. Verse 17 goes on to say that, uh, that Jesus said to them, you know, what are you guys talking about as, you, as you're walking along here? They're sitting there looking sad, feeling all depressed. Then one of them says, are you a total stranger? Do you not know what's been happening? Jesus plays along, says, well, tell me what, what's, what's been happening? Like he doesn't know. And then they said, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed before, before God and all the people. And how the chief priests and the rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But look what verse 21 says. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. These two disciples, Cleopas, we don't know what the other one's name is. They were not part of the Jesus original 12 disciples. But we see them confess here that their great hope for Jesus was that he would redeem Israel. That means to restore Israel. If you, if you, let me give you some history here. At this time, the Roman Empire covered almost everything. And the Roman Empire occupied Israel at this time and kept its thumb of authority over Israel. And so these guys, like their great hope for Jesus Christ 
the Son of God come to earth, their great hope was that he would restore their little world. Their great hope was that he would bring their nation back to full glory. And I wonder, I wonder how many people here, your great hope for Jesus Christ is not that he came to save sinners. I wonder how many people here, your great hope for Jesus is that he would redeem America. I'm going to tell you right now, I think what Jesus shows these two disciples and what he shows us is that his mission is much more universal than that. I, I'm not saying it's a bad thing to long for, but if that is our great hope, we are woefully missing the mark of what Jesus came to do. He didn't come to restore just one nation. He came to restore all of creation. And he does that through the salvation of souls. So let's, let's continue. These disciples continue. Yes, and besides all of this, it's now the third day since everything has happened. And some women from our company, they, they said something that amazed us. They went to the tomb in the morning and they didn't find his body. They came back saying they'd seen angels. So we, we sent some guys there and they couldn't find Jesus' body either. What we see here, Luke is telling us, the author here is telling us that these two disciples, they obviously didn't have the full story. They only had part of the story. And these guys are on the way back to Emmaus, probably going back to their hometown after coming to celebrate the Passover in Jerusalem. But they only had part of the story. And Jesus comes to these guys, I think, to give them the full story, to bring it all together, because that's what Jesus does. And Jesus said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Tell you what, uh, when I get to meet Jesus, I'm really hoping he don't call me a fool. That's a rough way to start. But you have to understand, for the Jewish context, this wasn't exactly the insult that American ears would hear. We, we think that Jesus is calling them a bunch of idiots. That's not at all. For, for the Jewish man, a fool was somebody who simply lacked full understanding, who lacked all the context. So Jesus is not calling them idiots. He's just acknowledging that they lack insight into the full situation of what's really going on. And when Jesus speaks of the prophets here, clearly he's speaking of the Bible, specifically the Old Testament. But catch what Jesus is saying. Slow of heart to believe. Slow of heart to believe. Jesus is saying that we need a heart to believe what the Bible reveals. And so just in case you weren't aware... There's a reason that at Peace Church, we pray after we read the Bible. Every sermon, whoever's preaching, when we read God's word to our congregation, we will always follow it up with a prayer. And part of that prayer is that God would give us the eyes to see and the heart to believe what is written because Jesus says that we need a heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And when, we has, and when we have the eyes of faith to see, this is what it shows. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. When, when Jesus says beginning with Moses, he's probably referring to the first five books of the Old Testament, which we say were written by Moses. And then the prophets, meaning the rest of all the Old Testament. 
But it is absolutely crucial that we take a careful reading of what is actually happening here. They don't realize that they are speaking to the risen Jesus himself. Jesus doesn't reveal his true nature to them until verse 31, which we'll get to next week. It's pretty powerful. But these guys, they don't know what's going on. They are confused. They are sad. They are bewildered. They're not sure what to think. You think, or at least you would think, that when Jesus shows up on the scene, he'd be like, guys, don't worry. It's me. I'm here. I've risen from the dead. It's as I said. I've triumphed. I won. Don't be sad. Lift your hearts up. I'm here. But he doesn't. He doesn't lead off like that. It is phenomenal what we see happening here. He does not lead off with just showing his true self. He wants to make sure that they first fully understand the scriptures. So he brings them through a Bible study. Christians, hear me. This is why we need study as much as story. Yes, it is very entertaining to come and listen to a preacher tell a bunch of life-changing stories. Yes, that is inspiring. But we need to be growing in our knowledge of the scriptures. Jesus could have just let off with an inspiring story saying, hey guys, it's as I said, I triumphed. I've won. He could have left off, let off with an inspiring story, but he leads off with the scriptures because he wants to drive them to the heart of God's word first. Faith develops grit when it works to pour over and spend time in God's word. The very first psalm says, blessed is the one who meditates on God's law day and night, meaning God's word. He could have just revealed himself, but he brings them through an hour and a half Bible study first. And this is the risen Jesus doing, doing this. And hear me, don't get me wrong. Like the Bible itself talks about how a powerful testimony is one of the ways that we overcome the devil. Absolutely, we need to be sharing powerful testimonies of what God's doing in our lives. But a testimony is only truly powerful when God's word, when God's truth plays its proper part in a person's life. And he shows them what scripture says. He says, was it not necessary? Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Jesus is reminding them, boys, if you knew your Bible, you would know this was meant to happen. Brothers, if you had spent time in God's word like you should have, you'd be in a much better disposition right now. Jesus is reminding them, and he is reminding us, that the absolutely gruesome nature of the cross was absolutely necessary for Christ's glory to be known and for our salvation to happen. And it goes on to say, he interpreted for them all the things in Scripture concerning himself. I mean, can you imagine walking down a dirt road with Jesus Christ himself, and he has given you a Bible study. I mean, one commentator said, this must have been the mother of all Bible studies. Sign me up for, the, for that. Jesus is showing these two disciples, and he is showing us that what all of Scripture was leading to is Jesus. Jesus is the center of Scripture. I don't know if you noticed this, but at some point in our culture, we started treating coffee mugs 
like bumper stickers. Oh, some of you have some of those mugs. Let me see if any of you have this one. I'm sorry for what I said before I had my coffee. (laughs) If you like that one, you need to repent. Okay, if you get and understand and you think this next coffee mug is funny, we can be friends. I really doubt everyone was kung fu fighting. (laughs) That's great. I want that one. All right, this next one. I know some guys in here who probably have this mug. I'd agree with you, but then we'd both be wrong. (laughs) Oh, a lot of repentance needed here today. This next mug, I'm going to tell you, uh, is a mug that a lot of my fellow evangelical pastors, we like this mug. Uh, This is a mug that guys like me who do what I do, we kind of like, kind of like this mug. I'll show it to you. <laughs> so for those who are listening on the podcast later, we have a coffee mug and it's a picture of David and Goliath and Goliath is titled Goliath and David is entitled, not you. That is a big statement um, among evangelical pastors This whole phrase of, you're not David. Very popular phrase for guys like me, that you're not David. Seen, mean, not just for us, but for everybody. We're not David. Here's the problem. Here's what we do with basically every story in Scripture, but specifically David and Goliath. We put ourselves in the David and Goliath story as David. And then suddenly, we are that underdog. And that by the power of God, we can overcome our giants. Listen to me, that is not the point of David and Goliath. David and Goliath is a historical narrative about how God was forming his his nation of Israel. It's not about how we overcome our giant troubles. This story, it actually does point to something. It points to Jesus Christ, who overcame the giants of Satan, sin, and death. You are not David Because the Bible is not about you. Jesus clearly clarifies this. He says, in beginning with Moses, at the very beginning of the Bible, through all the Old Testament, he interprets them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Because the perfect life, the sacrificial death, and the powerful resurrection of Jesus Christ is the great culmination that the Bible points to. And with his great sacrifice, We are now left to continue his mission until the great culmination of all history when Christ restores all things. So now that we've taken some time at this point in our story to be grounded in some truth, let's talk about developing a gritty faith in light of what we just read. I think the first thing that I was challenged by when I read this passage is I would say this to you. A gritty faith is patient with others. I'm extremely challenged by this, and I'm extremely challenged by Jesus in this story. So I'm going to say something to you. If you agree with what I say, go ahead and give me a hearty amen. Amen. Well, thank you. (laughs) Let's see if you agree with this too. 
<laughs> the world is full of difficult people. Yeah, it's, it's, that's just truth. The world is full of difficult people. And listen to me. With what I'm about to say, let me, let me clarify this. I am not saying that we ever should tolerate sin. I am not pro- promoting this. I am not saying that we should ever tolerate sin, but I do think we should be patient with people. And that can be a difficult balance when people are what are promoting sin in this world. I'm talking about being patient with people in your own home and people out there. When people are being sinful, it's hard to be patient with them. So I'm not saying we tolerate the sin, but we need to be patient with people. When we engage with the world, oh Christian, hear me. When we engage with the world, patience is how we show a maturity when the world just shows anger and immaturity. We need to show patience. And it will feel like you're losing the argument for a moment. Hear me on this. It will feel like you're losing the argument if you're being patient when everyone else is getting riled up. This is why we have to have patience because Christ has patience with us. Through our sin, he was still the victor. Jesus shows up with these two disciples who are so far off the mark and Jesus is like, oh boys, oh brothers, you just don't get it. Let me show you. And then he walks alone with them for an hour and a half, pouring over the scriptures, walking down a dirt road together. I mean, can you imagine getting to walk alone with Jesus while he teaches you the Bible? Listen to me. When you open up the scriptures and you seek with an open heart, the Holy Spirit's walking with you. And he's illuminating that for you. He takes the time to take a walk with them. He takes the time to take a walk with them. He takes the time to take a walk with them. See what I'm doing with my feet here? I'm very awkwardly walking to make a point. (laughs) I think, Christians, we would be much more effective in this world if we took walks with people rather than just doing that. In fact, I'd say that's when we're the least effective. We are meant to be with people. We're meant to be a light in the world. We're meant to walk with people as Jesus Christ walks with us. I think we'd be much more effective in this world if we would walk in patience with people rather than just firing off our opinions on social media. And I say this after a very long track record of a lot of grievous sins online. I think if we just followed Jesus' pattern, A, we'd be more like him and we'd be more effective in the ways that he's calling us to be. I say, let's return to having walks with people. Grab a Coke or a Pepsi or a sweet tea or whatever you want and just walk down a dirt road with someone and just share Jesus with them. Because this is how Jesus changes us. 
He changes us as he walks with us. And this is a gritty, gritty process. And we need to be patient with people and even other Christians who may not have walked as long with Jesus as we have. They may only know as much as Cleopas and his buddy. They may not have the full story yet. This is why we walk along with them and showing them the full breadth of the scriptures. Listen to me. The world will leave you behind the moment you don't get on board. But Christ, with all patience, walks alongside of us. So let me leave you with this final point. A gritty faith is prepared with truth. It's prepared with truth. Jesus comes to these two disciples and it's very clear they don't have the full truth. So no wonder they're sad and confused. And so Jesus comes to give them the fuller truth. One of the biggest moments, I think, for any parent is when their child starts preschool. My youngest child, my daughter, Georgia, started school this year. She started preschool this year. This was, for our family, our very last, very first day of school for our kids. In Georgia, she saw her two brothers and her sister go to school every day, and she was so excited to start school herself. So when that first day of preschool came, this girl was pumped. (laughs) She was so excited. In fact, this is a picture of her, how excited she was. She could not wait to get to preschool. And then we got to preschool. (laughs) And she realized she's staying, mom and dad are going. And as we're leaving and waving goodbye, we snapped one last picture of her. My little girl was trying to be so strong. She's trying to fight back tears. She knew what was going to happen had to happen, and it was going to happen. She knew mom and dad were driving away, and she was crying, but she was trying to be strong. And that picture, this picture here, is something I'll cherish forever because it also inspires me to something about my parenting. As we drove away, and she was fighting back tears. Just so you know, I was not fighting back tears. I was bawling my eyes out, okay? (laughs) Strength, weakness, okay? (laughs) But this picture inspires me in one of the ways that I want to be a parent. See, like all good fathers, we want to protect our kids as we should But all honest fathers know that we can't protect them from everything. But here's what we can do. I want my kids to know that what I cannot protect them from, I will have prepared them for. When this world comes, I may not be there, but my teaching will be. What I can instill in their hearts, that will prepare them for what they're going to face. So even when they have to fight back tears, they know what to do. And that happens through truth. So when the world makes us lose our way, we'll always know what true north is when we instill truth into the hearts of our kids. 
I want to train and prepare my kids to be able to filter their life experiences through the truth of God's word so that when pain happens, my kids will know that they have a savior who is able to sympathize in our weakness. That when the world turns against us, I want my kids to know it also turned against Jesus. And when the world turns from us, I want my kids to know that we have a savior who who turns towards us to come and to seek and to save us. And I do this by doing my part, by helping them to develop a gritty faith that is grounded in truth, truth that filters our life experiences. See, too often we have a faith that is built only on inspiring stories rather than the inspired truth. And Jesus shows up to these two disciples and rather than, rather than just like out of the gate saying, hey guys, it's me, I triumphed, no need to be sad, I'm here. He wants to ground their experience in the truth of God's word. So much so that he spends an hour and a half walking down the road with them doing a Bible study. Because our life experiences need to be filtered through the truth of God's word, especially when it comes to spiritual encounters. And there's no greater spiritual encounter than standing face to face with the risen Jesus himself. And even in the midst of that, Jesus still points to scriptures. He says, guys, why are you sad? If you knew your Bible, you knew this was going to happen. If you knew the word, you would, knew, you would know this was all that was supposed to happen. So open up your Bibles, boys. Let me show you. So whether or not we're trying to insulate ourselves in our own little world like WandaVision or we are simply trying to live a faithful Christian life, the world will put pressure on those who seek to live a biblically faithful life. And this is why we need a dirt road level grit if we're going to shine. If you want to see a picture of faith with grit, look no further than Jesus Christ himself, who laid his life down on a cross to pay for the sins of the very people who were sinning against him. That is our Savior. Jesus Christ loved those who were sinning against him. He loved them enough to lay down his life for them. That takes grit. Who would do this? Jesus. And he calls us to do the same. This is Jesus who would walk down a dirt road with you, even if you were the only one. How much does he love you? That much. Even if you were the only one, he would have still done it. Would you please stand? Church, I think if we're going to shine in this world, we need to become dirt road disciples. Those who will engage the world like Jesus did, with patience and with truth. So would you please pray with me? Lord, when we look to have a faith grounded in your truth, we pray that you'd give us the eyes to see Jesus in the scriptures. You'd give us the spirit to work in our hearts as he would open up the scriptures and walk alongside us as Jesus does. Lord, that when we look out in the world and we see bitterness and darkness and brokenness, I pray, Lord, we'd have the heart to believe the scriptures and the eyes for Jesus to be our vision. So I would pray, Lord, 
that your church here at Peace Church, Lord, as we sing and worship together, and we sing the words, be thou my vision, Lord, that you truly would be the vision of our heart. We pray these things in his name. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Church, let's sing together.